Welcome back to Exquisitely Aligned, where we empower you to express your finest self, live life on your terms, make your even bigger impact in the world, and help people in a more uh, joyful and fulfilling way because you become the light shining unapologetically for all to see and inspiring others to do the same or giving them permission. Today, I am so excited to introduce you to Julie McLean. Julie is a speaker and a TEDx talker, was raised in a small town in New Jersey. So Julie, I'm from New York. I'm guessing you can hear my Long Island accent. <laughs> and at the age of 16, was ready to take her own life. I want you to digest that for a minute because it's bringing tears to my eyes as a mom. And that is such an important thing that I want to give a voice to. And I'm so delighted that Julie doesn't shy away from sharing that. It's an experience that changed her life and probably those around her. And so I'm excited to uh, give it a voice here today on Exquisitely Aligned. She has struggled with her mental health from that time on. And I think you're not alone. Okay. And almost every day since then has thought, has thought about dying by suicide. Like others, she felt the stigma associated with mental health. And it's still happening. I mean, we'll give that a voice too. We have a lot to talk about. <laughs> and mental illness made her an outsider. Now, I can't say mental illness made me an outsider, but I have always felt like I haven't fit in. And I think you can see why. <laughs> but um, there's nothing worse than feeling like an outsider, especially when you're not feeling 100% yourself. And with no one to talk to, her struggles continue. In 2019, she reached a breaking point only to have her husband save her life by asking the three most important questions. Are you okay? Do you want to hurt yourself? And do you have a plan? I understand. The answer to these questions finally got her. Sorry, there's a, a point where I can't read. The, uh, got her the help she needed and was enrolled in an intensive talk therapy group. I love talking and I love therapy. Finding out that talking had helped. She realized that she wanted to help others to uh, others to be afraid to share how they to not be afraid to share how they felt. That's when Julie decided to open, start the convo, and make it her mission to end mental health stigma and lower suicide rates. One at a time. I'm going to add in there today. Julie is a mental health and suicide awareness advocate, a suicide prevention speaker, a TEDx speaker and trainer and coach, she doesn't sleep, and helping organizational leaders get comfortable talking and implementing measures to address suicide prevention in their organizations. She is a mental health and suicide prevention advocate. So I wanna give you a round of applause. I am delighted that your husband asked those three uh, magical questions. He knew what to ask. He could probably intuitively sense there was something going on. And I'm so glad you truthfully answered because had you not, I wouldn't be able to meet you here today. 
Had I not, he wouldn't have believed me. <laughs> I was bawling my eyes out that day. Yeah. And, you know, I believe uh, there's so much of this going on. It's behind the scenes. I think it's um, I find it personally sad that people. uh, So I'm very transparent. You can see my shirt's transparent. I need to buy more of these. I have to go back (laughs) to that store. But, you know, my kids would always say, TMI, mom, too much information. But I feel like if I give a voice to certain things. I give permission for other people to share a life. Now, not everybody takes that invitation. Of course, on my show, they do, because I make sure I find the right people to speak with. But I mean, meeting in public or make friends even. And so I am so grateful to you for getting the help and taking that experience and just turning it around so that you can be here to help others. So tell us a little bit about how what that looked like and then to where you are now. And I know that's like a lot to ask you in a, a 20 minute podcast. Actually, but... For me, it's not so bad because I, I talk about this a lot and I find it necessary to talk. But as you said, I, you know, the first time I thought about taking my own life, I was 16. Mm-hmm. I came from an abusive household. I didn't love myself. Mm. I didn't think anybody loved me because of the experiences I was having. And I didn't know what to do, but something stopped me and had me say, you know what? There's only one person in my family that I'm dealing with abuse, not all the people in my family. Mm. So I, I didn't do it. I I was lucky that I had the wherewithal, yes. but it's not that I didn't stop thinking about right. it. It's it's one of those things that it's always on my mind, and that's not uncommon either Correct. for people to always be thinking about suicide. Yeah, um, and I, I just I one of the things I want to make clear is that people don't have to have a mental illness. Correct. To in order to have those suicidal thoughts. Yes, it's a mental health challenge. And and I say that strictly because I had a cousin who took his own life at the age of 19. Mm. And it's only because he was having a bad day. Yeah. Yeah. He had a phenomenal life. Right. But he had one bad day yeah. that he didn't feel he could get through. And yeah. it's broken all of our hearts. Absolutely. I mean, it leaves a hole in your heart, right? Exactly. Exactly. Because A was the life of the party. He was so smart. He was so talented. He had so many friends. And for him to be gone, I mean, I hear him laugh all the time and I see his smile, you know, when I close my eyes. And and it's been 12 years that he's gone. And, but it still didn't stop me in 2019 Mm -hmm. of making a plan. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and that's, I, I give my, my husband so much credit for knowing those things to say. And it's interesting because there, there is what they call mental health first aid. Yes. We took a mental health first aid class after I had my crisis and found out that the three important questions that you're supposed to ask, yes. he asked. Mm-hmm. And, and we didn't even know he was supposed to be doing that. Well, um, so I know be, only because my husband's a family doctor mm-hmm. and he's had patients, young patients. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't see patients full time right now. Uh, he he left that part of his career, but he had a um, suicidal patient who was probably 13. Oh. 
And um, luckily, uh, you know, she was uh, found early enough that they could get her the help she needed. But it was a constant struggle. And it was interesting because I'll never forget eating dinner and him, tell you know, how was your day? And he's like, well, it was a rough one, you know. And yeah. so I was like, well, what do you know? And those were the three questions. Are you OK? Uh, so I'm going to repeat them because, I, you know, or should we have you repeat them in your voice? Let's you, you repeat them, because I think these are three important questions. If you're at a place where you can stop the car or stop the treadmill, or slow down your jog, um, you know, or run. Uh, I'm not a runner. But whatever you're doing, and just write these three or hear these three questions that um, Julie is going to say, because they are important. So go ahead. So the first one is, are you okay? And I have to stress, don't take yes as an answer if you know they're not. Uh, I was sitting there bawling my eyes out. I told my husband I was leaving him. If I had answered, yeah, I'm fine, or shaken my head, yes, he wouldn't have believed it. I was not okay. And it was obvious. It's not always obvious, though. So if, if you feel that this person is not okay, just make sure you don't take yes for an answer. Yeah, use your intuition. And if, mm -hmm. if your gut is telling you they're that's a lie, you know, not that they're intentionally trying to right. pull one over you, but that they are maybe not in touch or they're trying to keep a secret. Right. And I don't mean like they're being deceptive. It's just there is there is a stigma to this, you know, and exactly. I love the fact. So that's why there are two more questions. So the first one, again, is are you OK? Mm -hmm. And really listen to yourself. Did what she just tell me match what I'm getting in, energetically from her? Go ahead. Yeah. So the second one is, do you want to hurt yourself? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I, you know, you can not be okay and not want to hurt yourself. Correct. But him knowing the type of personality I have and the fact that I struggle with my mental health, he knew to ask me because he's knew I'd made attempts before. Yeah. So, but don't be afraid of asking, do you want to hurt yourself? Right. A lot of people think that if you ask those questions, it's going to put those thoughts in somebody's mind. Correct. And it does just the opposite. Correct. If you ask those questions and that thought is there, it changes the mind to say, wait a second, I do mm -hmm. want to hurt myself, but this person is caring about me enough to ask. So maybe it's not what I really want to do. Right, because I think that in that moment you can feel alone. I'm, I'm guessing, right? Mm -hmm. That oh yeah. And so when you're feeling, when we feel alone, um, or misunderstood, or whatever that word is, um, or not fitting in, I used that earlier. Um, to have to hear someone asking, you know the next question, it's like all of a sudden you're, I think not only your ears perk up, but your heart opens up. Mm -hmm. Like someone's, someone really cares for me. Someone's loving me. Someone, and it doesn't know, it's not always a spouse. It could be, a, a, you know, a friend it, or it could be someone a you stranger. don't know. Right. Like I, I'm, right now I'm getting a vision. You're out in public and someone just feels like, Hey, I need to talk to you because I'm just getting a sense that maybe you're not feeling your best today. Would right. you like to talk? You know, so I love that. So we did. Are you OK? Do you want to hurt yourself? And I love the fact that you said just by saying that doesn't 
mean it's going to put that thought in someone's head. Right. Absolutely not. I agree with you. And then the third one. And the, this is the most important one, actually, is do you have a plan? Yeah. Because this is the determination on whether or not the person needs immediate assistance yeah. or if it can, not that it can wait, you still don't wait if a person wants to hurt themselves, it can't be left alone, right. but it's not imminent. Right. It's not so, a 911 call. Exactly. You know, right. Like to exactly. Me, if the person says, yes, I have a plan. Then my next question would be, what is the plan? You oh, know, no. Maybe, don't oh, no. even ask. Don't, don't even, even ask. ask. Don't even because okay, because I can tell you that if the person has a plan, they can't tell you it. Okay. The biggest thing about a crisis that a lot of people don't understand, especially okay. if they've never had one, is that having that feeling of such such. I can't even say the right word because I can't even describe it. You can only feel it. Yeah, but yeah. Feeling that low, feeling that depressed, feeling that pressed on. Cause that's what it feels like is you're just being pressed on. You mm -hmm. physically can't speak. Okay. So when people say, you know, well, why didn't you tell me? It took 45 minutes for my therapist to get a yes out of my mouth yeah. <laughs> so that yeah. she could help me. You know, yeah. even when I answered the questions from my husband, I just shook my head. Yes. I never even physically said a word that night because I couldn't. The, my brain just was not functioning enough because it was just so focused on, I don't want to be here. Yeah. So I do you that. have a plan means you either have to call 911. Right. Um, I was, my husband and I were fortunate enough that we had start seeing a life coach Mm -hmm. you know, we were married 20 years and then we started seeing a life coach. And then, you know, here it is five years after that. And now I'm having a mental crisis. Mm -hmm. um, so we had an appointment the following day. So we just went, he just stayed with me and we went to the appointment. Um, but knowing that somebody is in imminent danger, mm -hmm. that that's huge. That's yeah. huge. And you know, that really makes the difference of how fast you're going to get help from them yes. for them. Yes. You know, some and people might be thinking about hurting themselves, but, you know, really don't. Or they just need somebody to, you know, sit with them or something like that. Mm -hmm. But when you got a plan, you got to take care of it. You got to you got to help them out. I love so. that. Awesome. So now you're using your voice and you've turned that around and you're sitting across from me and I see glowing eyes, glowing skin, a giant smile. I can feel your energy through the camera as if I could reach out and give you a big hug and kiss. So tell, tell us, like, how does it feel to be on the other side and to be this advocate? Because when you're stepping into that position, I feel like sometimes that's a, a, a invitation from the universe, from God, from life to be intrigued and intimidated. I feel like it's exciting, but yet it could feel a little bit like, oh, what am I really doing? Did you ever have that feeling? Oh, my God. So when I first went into my therapy yeah. for the first three days, my head was down, my bangs hung in front of my eyes. I didn't speak. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what anybody looked like. I Nobody knew what I looked like. Nobody knew what I sounded like. But what that did for me was made me listen 
to Mm. the people that were in that group with me. And they were from all walks of life and they were all talking about their mental health. Mm -hmm. And that's when I sat there and thought, well, I wonder what would happen if I talked. It seemed like a safe space to me because everybody was dealing with the same thing. Mm -hmm. So I started talking and it dawned on me, oh my God, this feels good. I feel better. The weight is lifted off of me. And that really was the catalyst for me to start doing this. Um, I, I never thought in a million years that I would be talking freely about my mental health. I was always the closed, quiet, introverted one. I, I didn't talk about anything. Thing because when you grow up in an abusive household, you just sure. don't want people to see you. Yeah. Because then if people see you, they ask questions. Yeah. So I learned to be quiet and to be this open about something so personal right. yeah. is it's not exactly where I pictured myself to be. But well, I know. I yeah, I want to interrupt you for just a second because what you said was powerful on many levels. So not just from the mental health. But I see this with clients. I see it when I walk outside of the house and have conversations. I, I talk with everyone. I think you probably figured that out already. But uh, I've never been a stranger. They're my new best friend. And my husband's always like, oh, here we go again. There's 50 people in here. We're never going to get home. You know, like he's like, oh, God. Now she's talking to this one and that one. But I find people fascinating. And I think the key point I want to drive home is so much of what you said are golden nuggets. But this one is the diamond. When we give a voice to how we feel, we allow others to do the same. So the other people in that circle, even though your head was down, your bangs were covering your eyes, but you could hear them. They're, them giving a voice to how they were feeling gave, gave you the safe space to voice how you're feeling. And so I would love for those of you listening to think about where you can do that in your life, whether you have a mental health issue or someone in your love, in your immediate family does or not, but is it in your marriage? Is there a place in your marriage where you need to give a voice to how you're feeling? Maybe you're feeling, I, listen, I'm married 23 and a half years. There have been moments where I tell my husband, Mark, I'm married and I feel alone. Like, what is going on? You know, are you going to get away from the computer? Because I'm going to call your boss soon and tell him, you know, he goes, he worked all day. He's gone, come to dinner. And then he's got back at his desk. Something's got to give, you know? And I've checked. He's definitely working. It's not that he's doing uh, Facebook or anything. So, Mm -hmm. but, you know, there are places, whether it be in our marriage, our friendship, our career, uh, with an employee, with our employer, that we need to, uh, in my opinion, use our voice and, and speak, maybe not completely freely telling somebody what you think of them, but express how you feel, mm-hmm. your truths, your desires and your gifts, because that's what exquisitely aligned is all about, um, and come from the place of what is true for you and what is it you desire. You know, hey, Mark, I'd like you to spend more time with me during the week at night. You know what I mean? Not just yeah. on the weekends or when you come to the dinner table, I don't want you to be so exhausted. I'd like you to look up and, you know, and be involved in the conversation instead of looking down at your plate because you're like, oh, God, I got to get back to my desk. So beautifully said, so perfectly given words. So, um, 
now doing all the work that you do, how fulfilling is it? <laughs> it's amazing. And the one thing I really want to focus on, I yeah. mean, I love talking to just about everybody, yeah. but I've learned that the workplace, we yeah. spend so much time at our jobs and we're so afraid of anybody finding out that we might have a challenge. You know, everybody has to deal with their mental health. Everybody. Mm -hmm. Some people deal with mental illness, but everybody deals with mental health. And we don't talk about either. Right. And so going out to organizations and corporations and helping them understand and develop the need for having open conversation, yes. you know, letting their employees and even letting some of the companies know that, you know, mental health and mental illness, especially mental illness is covered under the Americans with Disabilities Act. And a lot of people don't realize that they're so afraid to say, hey, I have a problem. I need help. Right. They're afraid so they're repeat be fired. That. Yeah, repeat that one more time. What's covered? Mental illness is covered under the Americans with Disabilities Act. They have to accommodate you. They cannot fire you. Mm-hmm. So don't be afraid to say, "Hey, I have I need help." Yeah. You know, when it comes and- to employers, I always suggest to employers to have a quiet room. Yeah. So that if something, if someone gets overwhelmed, they can go to that quiet room, mm-hmm. you know, put a little panic button in the quiet room. <laughs> so really, so that you can go into that quiet room. And if you really need somebody, an advocate, a support system, you can just press the button and somebody's going to come so and you. be with you and sit with you. Being able to do stuff like that in the workplace Mm-hmm. I know a lot of the big corporations have hotlines that nobody yes. knows about. Right, 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 right. Let your organization know that you have a mental health safe place. Mm-hmm. You're opened. Yeah. If, if I can get that to happen in the workplace, I, I'd be so happy. <laughs> you know what? Uh, I have a feeling, Julie, you can. I And I have a feeling so. you will. And I have a feeling that's your legacy. So, um, and that is, uh, that's just what I see for you because I think that's brilliant. I used to tell my yoga students, go in the bathroom, close the stall, lock, you know, lock the stall, the stall and stand on one leg in tree pose <laughs> because you have to really, you know, and I said, if somebody comes and looks, they only see one leg under the stall. They still know somebody's in there. Right. You know, and yep. I, I had a gentleman and he came back and he said, I had to do that. And you're right. It just grounded me. I had to stop thinking about what I was working on and how crazy I felt because I was standing on one leg in tree pose and I was able to do it. And um, whatever that is, and I love the idea of being able to have a quiet room with a, a, a little, you know, um, button that doesn't ring the whole office, but somebody comes mm-hmm. in uh, and shows up as our guardian angel. So I am looking at the time and I know I have to let you go, but I wanted to ask if I could quickly pull a card for you from the opening to possibilities deck. 
These are nice. cards that I designed back in 2017. They're journal prompts, contemplation, meditation, and conversation starters. Not that I need a starter with you because there's so much we could talk about. As, <laughs> as I thumb through them, you just tell me when to stop and I'll read you the card. Okay. Serenity. <laughs> Serenity. So nice. serenity. Yes, this is perfect. Everyone I've pulled has been a spot on. So I have goosebumps going. Serenity offers you an anchor no matter what outer winds are blowing. And I think you're, the room that you're talking about is exactly this place. Maybe it's called the serenity room. I don't know. Serenity space. Where do you find serenity? Uh, or you could answer, what does it look like for you? Or what benefits do you receive from serenity? You pick which one you like. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> well, we're going to have to do this again. Yeah. Sometime. Yeah. Wonderful. I loved every part of our conversation. I love the idea of a safe space. And um, I thank you and sit in gratitude for our time together. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much, Gina. I appreciate your time.